Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 61st episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we're exploring a topic that many have asked for on social media and in one-on-one meetings. We'll be talking today about the potential shift in the financial compensation structure for residential rooftop solar customers in North Carolina and all of the headlines you've been reading about recently related to a settlement filed at the North Carolina Utilities Commission. But before we talk about that, let's jump into some quick news. The electric vehicle expansion and economic development news keeps rolling on in. This week, there were two additional exciting announcements made within the region. The first coming from Proterra, the electric bus manufacturer, which stated their plans to build a new battery manufacturing facility in South Carolina, about 90 miles southwest of Charlotte. The company will invest $76 million into the plant, creating more than 200 new jobs. It was also just announced this week that another EV manufacturer, Rivian, is planning to build a $5 billion assembly plant and manufacturing facility in Georgia, which was deemed the largest economic development project in the history of the state. The plant will employ 7,500 workers with the potential to grow to 10,000. And since our last episode was focused on infrastructure and Build Back Better, a short update on the Build Back Better bill. As of earlier this week, it still looks like the bill is a toss-up to receive a potential vote before the end of the year, despite Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer pushing for a vote by Christmas. In the latest statement from President Biden, it looks like the executive branch has conceded that the bill will continue through the negotiation process into 2022. As a reminder to our listeners, There are a number of provisions included in this bill targeted towards the clean energy industry, including the expansion of the investment tax credit to include energy storage as well. We'll keep everyone updated as this bill continues to meander through the legislative process. In the interest of keeping our updates short to dedicate as much time as possible to diving into an important clean energy conversation for the state of North Carolina, let's jump into today's episode. So, As many may recall, on November 29th, NCSEA, along with a number of our partners, filed a settlement agreement with Duke Energy at the North Carolina Utilities Commission focused on the topic of net metering in the state of North Carolina. Since the filing, our team, along with our partners, have received a number of questions about what this means for installers and customers, along with the practical implications of enacting what's being deemed as net metering 2.0. So for that reason, we've invited a voice that many may recognize to join us on today's episode to dive into the details of the settlement and walk us through what it means for residential rooftop solar in the state. Our guest on today's episode serves as NCSEA's regulatory and policy manager, monitoring, researching, and developing informed and credible responses to clean energy related issues at the North Carolina Utilities Commission, General Assembly, and local governments, 
Our guest draws upon his background in multiple sectors of clean energy to advocate on behalf of the clean energy industry in ways that improve the economy and environment of his home state. He received his undergraduate degree from Appalachian State University and his master's degree in city and regional planning from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Friends of the pod, please welcome Daniel Brookshire, Regulatory and Policy Manager with NCSEA. Daniel, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you again. Great. So, Daniel, as many of our listeners may know, net metering has been a topic catching a lot of headlines here recently throughout states across the country. Why is that the case? And can you talk through some of the issues we're seeing pop up? Yeah, you know, we've seen some pretty ugly uh, solar wars in the last few years. Uh, You know, some of the big ones out in the West come to mind, like Arizona and Nevada, that really got ugly and were really, really disruptive to the solar industry and various reasons they come about. But one thing we hear a lot in the Southeast, especially, is this this idea that solar is being subsidized by other consumers or that they're not harming other non-solar customers some way. We, you know, obviously uh, don't subscribe to that view here, <laughs> but it's pretty pervasive and it, it, it comes up in, in a lot of different forms uh, in, in many, many utilities. And so when these things turn into statewide fights, they can get really ugly like we've seen. And, you know, we were kind of bracing ourselves for a similar fight to come to come to North Carolina. And luckily, like what we're going to talk about today is we have hopefully avoided that um, uh, based on based on the settlement we have reached. But but yeah, I, I think that's in general sense of, of why they have been popping up over the years. You know, some some are legislatively mandated that they change net metering rates, which, you know, it will be similar to what uh, a request we had in North Carolina from our legislature but, uh, that I'll talk about. But um, knock on wood, we um, we have hopefully dodged that that war. So. so out of curiosity, what's the counter to the argument that, uh, you know, ratepayers are subsidizing the cost of, of solar for people who decide to install? The overall counter is that when you truly assess the value, all the value streams and all the value uh, add of the solar customers to the system that that you find that they are providing a you know not only a benefit to their their neighbors uh, along the wires to, uh, to the systems but you know going out to the to the environmental benefits the economic uh, and environmental benefits that the solar systems are providing to their communities you know obviously is something we stand behind and promote here at NCSEA you know our whole our our, our member developer solar members are, are valuable members of the community and full disclosure here I used to work for a solar company right here in the triangle so I've <laughs> I've been on roofs uh been stringing wires and uh, uh, throwing up panels so I I do know uh, a bit about this uh, firsthand. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, even in this uh, settlement we reached with uh, with Duke Energy here, we did not concede um, to the subsidy issue. We we just um, agreed to uh, to settle some things and, and, and reach this agreement uh, that was mutually agreeable to, to both sides and, and to several of our key partners here. So, and it's an important thing to note as well that, you know, depending on the utility territory that a customer might be in, um, you know, many of those customers do still have, you know, fixed monthly charges or minimum monthly bills um, to, to help, you know, cover their fair share of the, the transmission and distribution costs that all ratepayers are, are helping to, to cover. So just on the 
general overall topic of net metering in our state, it's currently a mixed bag between who has it and who doesn't, right? So thinking about the difference between our uh, IOU Duke Energy here in the state and the electric cooperatives and municipalities, uh, where does net metering currently stand in North Carolina overall? Yeah, so let me take you on a little bit of a, a little bit of a history lesson. So, you know, net metering in North Carolina has been for the for the IOUs for for Duke in our state and, and Dominion to an extent uh, has, has been required by the Utilities Commission since the mid 2000s. So, for instance, in, with Duke Energy, uh, they've adopted their first net metering program back in 2005, and then when we passed our uh, Senate Bill Three, which had our a renewable energy portfolio standard uh, and energy efficiency portfolio standard uh, back in 2007. Uh, that bill directed the commission to um, to revisit net metering and, and uh, allowing uh, net metering facilities up to one megawatt. And following up on that piece of legislation, our commission issued an order in 2009 requiring that Duke Energy uh, and Dominion offer net metering uh, on residential systems up to 20 uh, kilowatts and uh, non-residential up to uh, a megawatt. So we've really been operating under that paradigm in Duke Energy territory since 2009, where it's uh, retail net metering, full retail, with the bill credits carried over, but with an annual reset, which we hear about a lot every year that comes around in June. And, and so we've been doing that for now over a decade, kind of in that, in that paradigm. Now, the other utilities in North Carolina are kind of all over the place, to be honest. They are municipal utilities and uh, electric co-ops have no requirement to uh, offer net metering. And we see that a lot of them don't. You know, they, they might do a buy-all, sell-all approach or some sort of net billing uh, arrangement, but some do. You know, Town of Apex, I believe, offers uh, retail net metering. So they can be all over the place. And like you mentioned, higher fixed charges or to get really into the weeds. Our, our colleagues over at the Southern Environmental Law Center put together a great resource called uh, ratesofsolar.com. And you can go and uh, type in your utility name and find out if they are a solar maker or a solar breaker. And um, <laughs> it gives you the high level overview of, uh, of what it would cost you to, to go solar in some of these utilities. And you'll see that there's some makers in North Carolina that aren't uh, Duke or Dominion, uh, but also a lot of breakers that are, um, are out there. So. Uh, it is certainly very dependent on where you where you reside. But long story short, if you're in an IOU territory in North Carolina, you've kind of been operating under this uh, 2009 order requiring uh, full retail net metering. So one thing that you mentioned was that the the reset periods in in North Carolina that we've we've heard about quite a bit from a lot of of solar customers who have been frustrated where they've they've netted quite a bit of excess generation and that excess generation gets reset uh, back to zero um, in the spring. And, and one thing of note that, that we'll talk about in a little bit, as part of this uh, agreement, those reset periods will actually be going away as it kind of transitions the model a little bit. So um, I'm sure we'll talk about that here in, in just a little bit. Let's let's kind of back up and, and talk about you know, how we got to this point of, of reaching this agreement and what was really the impetus for that in North Carolina. I know in House Bill 589 and 951, there were specific language included in there about net metering. Can you talk about what that was and what it means for the state moving forward? 
In House Bill 589, which was passed in 2017, the legislature passed a provision where by 2027, the, the commission and Duke Energy had to revisit net metering rates. And they had some really specific language in there about considering demand charges and you know making sure that solar customers aren't being subsidized and pretty prescriptive way of, of considering net metering going forward. And then again, in House Bill 951 that was passed this year, there was one line in the, in the piece of legislation that said the commission shall revisit net metering rates. They didn't set another deadline. So that uh, 2027 deadline from 589 still holds. But I think you see a clear signal from the North Carolina legislature that they want net metering to be revisited, you know, two times. <laughs> and so clearly taking an, an interest in it every time a major piece of uh, energy legislation has passed in recent years. So that is very North Carolina specific, obviously. But you had something happening at the, at the same time, which I, I am admittedly not the primary expert on, but, but South Carolina had, had a similar requirement to, to revisit their net metering rate. And so out of that process, I believe, you know, I've lost track of time with the pandemic and everything, but I think, <laughs> I'm thinking it was last year, maybe the year before, they had a, a stakeholder process looking into net metering. And, and a lot of what I'm about to talk to you today kind of got its start in the stakeholder process with, with Duke Energy in South Carolina about revisiting their net metering offering eventually ended up into the what is called now the, the, the solar choice net metering that has been approved already in South Carolina and what has been now very similarly proposed in North Carolina just recently a few weeks ago so, so that's kind of the impetus uh, you know in, in, in our view is that the closer we got to that 2027 date or, or get to that 2027 date the harder it is for our member installers to say to a customer you know, what your your cash flow looks like, what your savings, what your payback period might be, because right now for them, it's it's a big old question mark after 2027. Before we reach the settlement, I'll say, what can they tell their customers that's coming after 2027? Is it going to be some of the, the less favorable approaches that we've seen in other states that have been so, so disruptive or thankfully what happened that we came to an agreement with, with Duke and, and we're moving forward with this uh, Solar Choice program. All right, so let's let's finally address the elephant in the room here. The news for all of our listeners, as we've teed up uh, as news items in, in previous podcast episodes, and then via you know our, our newsletters and other communications to members and stakeholders and partners, is that the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association just here in the past few weeks reached a settlement agreement with Duke Energy and a number of our partners on uh, net metering. So. Daniel, can you tell us a little bit more about what's in that agreement and, you know, should it uh, actually be approved by the Utilities Commission, what would the member installers be telling their customers? You know, you start off with an important point that it's, it wasn't just us over at NCSEA that reached this. It was our colleagues over at um, Southern Environmental Law Center and their client, Boat Solar and the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. It was the Solar Energy Industries Association, and I believe the largest uh, private solar installer in the country, uh, Sunrun. We all collectively reached this agreement with Duke Energy, and so so we are not alone here. I just want to starting off the bat here, and, and I, I think you know we we are excited to roll this out. This ushers in a new and 
more certain, like I was saying earlier, decade plus for solar net metering in North Carolina. I'll refer to it variously here as net metering 2.0 or solar choice, technically labeled in the filing. And so overall, what it is, is, is it is, yes, a move away from the full retail holding over a credit onto your bill approach that we have right now in North Carolina. It in a big picture, it can get I can get into the weeds really quick here. So I'm going to try to keep it high level. I am a, a, an analyst here. But in a big sense, we are moving into requiring new net metering customers uh, starting in 2023, uh, depending all depending on commission approval, of course, that new net metering customers would require to be served under a time of use rate. And within that rate, they would have to net their their energy imports from the grid and their energy exports from their solar systems to the grid, uh, they would net those within those time of use periods. And at the end of the month, any net excess exported energy that, that you ended up with, that would be credited at avoided cost right within that same month uh, instead of carrying over as a credit to a, to a future month. You would, you get all that right within the same billing period. And so what, you know, there's a few other things in here that you've touched on that I'll dive into, but I just want to start off. That is the big takeaway here is what I want people to realize that we are moving to a a system that will align the grid needs in terms of these time of use periods and provide financial incentives for customers to manage their uh, energy consumption behavior uh, based on those grid needs and and also to make sure that net metering systems are appropriately sized to meet the needs of that household. And, and I'll also say, big caveat here, this settlement is just for uh, residential net metering. So part of our agreement with Duke Energy is that we will work collectively on a, a non-residential proposal, but that is uh, likely to to really kick into high gear once we get some direction from the commission about our uh, residential net metering settlement. So yes, time of use, netting within the time of use periods, uh, that is, that's the big news. I'll get a little in the weeds here, you know, with time of use, uh, NCSCA has advocated for time of use rates for ever since I've been here and before I was here at NCSCA. But these particular time of use periods, one really key thing for us was to not end up with demand charges. They are, you know, for those of you who don't know that you know they're usually based on your your peak kilowatt usage within a month or or an, one hour of that month or 15 minutes whatever and they're more common within non-residential rates you know bigger uh, energy consumer rates you see them a lot but with for residential customers um, and myself included i think i would find them very confusing hard to manage <laughs> you know one one accident all day where you have the dryer running and the AC and everything, and you could end up with quite a quite an ex a shock, a bill shock. <laughs> so one important thing for us was to not end up with a demand charge requirement for uh, net metering customers. We've seen that be imposed in some of the NIM battles that we've seen that there has been a, a requirement of that. So that was important to us not to end up with it. And these time of use rates do not have a demand charge, importantly. They have three main periods. They have a, an on-peak period, which is three hours a day. It's either 6 to 9 p.m. in the evening for your summer hours or 6 to 9 a.m. for your non-summer hours. 
And then in between, you have an off-peak period, and then you also have a super off-peak period, which we call a, a discount period here, which offers uh, even lower rates. And, and that falls in the summer in the middle of the night. And then in the spring or the non-summer, it falls in um, part of the night, but then also in the middle of the day, uh, where one benefit of being number three in the nation for solar is that <laughs> in the middle of spring days, especially, the uh, marginal cost of electricity is pretty cheap because there's a lot of solar cranking and uh, not, a, not a ton of load on the system. So that's when the, uh, the discount period happens in those uh, non-summer months. That's the time of use period and then netting within those time of use periods. To the to that point about about time of use, and hopefully I'm not stealing your thunder at all. But you know, one of the reasons why NCSEA has been a proponent of time of use rates is it helps to incentivize other clean energy technology deployment, uh, including the use of electric vehicles and residential storage, where you're able to you know charge that technology over the course of the evening when you have that discounted rate whether it be your electric vehicle right at say three or four cents a kilowatt hour um or at, you know charging up your storage unit over over the evening and then discharging it during peak hours of the day those those sorts of utilization of technologies based on kind of pricing throughout the course of the day is something that really can help move the market forward in adoption here in the state of North Carolina, where we've seen to this point, you know, very little adoption of energy storage. And so that's, you know, one of the hopeful and intended outcomes of moving forward with a settlement like this as well. Um, so there are also other provisions of the settlement as well. Um, and one of those includes the topic of rebates, something that you know, a lot of our installers are, are probably very familiar with, but this rebate is takes a little bit different, you know, shape and form. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the rebate looks like? Yeah. Um, let me elaborate first on what you just said about the, the storage, because I think it's an important one. You know, when I talk to our rooftop installer members, they're seeing more and more people installing storage with solar, you know, whether it's the power wall or what have you but the, the primary reason you know someone's doing that is really in case the power goes out or the, um, because if i'm a residential customer that my the, my kilowatt hour consumed is 10 cents a kilowatt hour no matter what time of the day i consume it there's not a tangible financial benefit to me to to um, managing that storage system other than to have to have it really as a, as a backup, you know. Uh, now what now what the time of use rates will do is exactly to your point, incentivize people to use that storage system to um, soak up any excess solar that your house is not using, so that you can deploy it later uh, during maybe maybe that peak hour window or at another uh, one of those time of use window times where you're not. Uh, you're not cranking out a bunch of solar. So, so I think importantly, that will be a really tangible financial benefit to um, solar plus storage residential owners. Now, on top of this, like you just teed up, part of our agreement with Duke is to file, and you'll see this coming hopefully uh, by the end of the year, uh, a solar a rebate program that will run through uh, Duke Energy's energy efficiency and demand side management program offerings. 
and it's called the Solar Smart Saver Program in South Carolina. I believe it will be called something similar, or it's not the same here in North Carolina, where you will be provided a, um, and the proposal is a 36 cents per watt rebate based on your solar system size and paired with you using a smart thermostat program. You do have to have an electric heat source to qualify, but you get that rebate up front. And importantly, as you know, dependent on commission approval, of course, it, it is not uh, capped as long as you meet the criteria. You know, we've seen, and, and you've, I think you've mentioned on this podcast before, the, the rebates in North Carolina right now are, um, have moved to a lottery approach where uh, if you're in Duke Energy and you want a solar rebate, you, you don't know for sure if you're going to get it or not because you, you enter into a lottery uh, to get that. When this rebate kicks in, it'll kick in uh, right when those current solar rebates that we have in Duke Energy, North Carolina end right now at the end of 2022. So this would hopefully go into effect in 2023 uh, and provide, like I said, a 36 cent per watt uh, incentive for your solar system. In exchange, you participate in that smart thermostat program. So Duke on a, you know, like a really hot summer afternoon or a cold winter morning, they can uh, manage your thermostat to heat or to preheat or pre-cool your house in anticipation of some critical peak. But this is, uh, this is an important part of the deal for us. And we believe a a really innovative program. And, and like you said, we hope it opens the door to some similar incentive programs that uh, whether it's energy storage, uh, a battery storage rebate program or, or something uh, to be determined. But this is a, a key part of the agreement as well. As somebody who is intimately aware of kind of the financials associated with residential solar and, you know, policy paradigms around that and you know, what's been in place, what's worked. I, I really am curious. I, I want to get in the head of Daniel Brookshire for, for just a minute um, and get a better sense as to, you know, how we came up with this structure that we see here in this agreement and why we decided to come to this agreement. That, that's a good question, Matt. There's going to be a broad range of opinions on this, but I, I'll lay out what our thinking. So, you know, we have seen, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, these net metering wars across the country and have, have and even in North Carolina we have seen the solar coaster in action uh, for rooftop solar that's very policy dependent you know in 2015 North Carolina let the in-state tax credit expire and we saw a noticeable dip in residential solar installation that really hurt our our, our member installers we saw a really big pickup uh, after House Bill 589 was passed which required uh, a rebate program over five years. It is our priority to avoid another dip in that roller coaster. <laughs> you know, rooftop solar to our installers, uh, big credit has certainly come down in cost over the years, um, but it, it requires, you know, a lot of site-specific work, you know, rooftop specific, jurisdictional specific, getting all your permits in line. Getting, so it's still not a, um, listeners will well know, it's, it's not a, a small expense, you know, <laughs> to go solar. It, it requires a, an upfront investment unless you're leasing. 
which is technically offered in North Carolina, but not a, not a ton of it in the residential sector yet. But um, our priority was to not disrupt that uh, industry because we are at a critical stage where we're coming off a, a rebate program and going into to an uncharted water where uh, the rebates were expiring and you have this kind of uncertainty with net metering. So our priority was to bring certainty to the uncertainty. <laughs> so whether that was litigation or uh, in this case, thankfully, uh, settlement. And so that, that really was a key driver to try to avoid the war, uh, the solar war <laughs> and you know, all the pitfalls that can come with that. And a few of our other key uh, items that when we went into these negotiations was uh, no demand charges, uh, regulatory and rate certainty, monthly netting, uh, and pushing for a, a minimum bill approach as opposed to a uh, just a higher fixed charge. And and I can get into that weeds uh, at the appropriate time. But um, but we got all those things in these negotiations. Certainly, the solar choice is going to be more complex um, than than just the retail uh, monthly credit that we have now, uh, but we believe this is a uh, this agreement preserves significant savings for customers who uh, choose to go solar. It provides significant upfront savings in the form of that rebate you just mentioned, and it provides at least ten years plus of regulatory and rate certainty around net metering. The basics of the agreement, you know, the monthly netting, the the time of use stuff. Um, we have all agreed that that will be in place at least for 10 years once it's approved. And it also, which we haven't even gotten into yet, it preserves a lot of the current terms for legacy net metering customers. So importantly to them, they do not have to go under this whole time of use agreement that I've been describing here. They, they can stay on their same rates if they choose to, and they can, um, you know, stay on those same rates even after 2027 uh, with a few caveats. That's a important clarification. Uh, that is a question that I've received on multiple occasions over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I, I know that this, this settlement has yet to be approved by the Utilities Commission, so we still have a little bit of ways to go there. But let's say it were to be approved in its current form and you had a crystal ball you know, what What sort of impact could we expect to see this settlement have on residential customers and also the installers in North Carolina as well? So when I talk about residential customers, right, are they, is the average solar customer going to come out ahead in North Carolina or is this some sort of slow erosion of net metering as we know it? Uh, uh, good question. That, and it's one I have had to answer a lot this, like you said, this past couple of weeks. No, it is, um, you know, if we believed it was that, we certainly wouldn't have agreed to it if, if we believed it was an erosion. <laughs> so this, um, you know, I don't want to, it, this will be so specific on your system size and your uh, household energy habits that I can't give you an exact figure of how this well, it's going to impact each and every person. Importantly, just to, pre to preview, we are working with Duke on developing a calculator so that you can do just that using your smart meter data. Uh, I also have a ton of spreadsheets that I'm happy to share. <laughs> I'm trying to clean them up so you can make heads or tails of them. But 
I want to make clear here that the name of the game for customers under Solar Choice is to minimize your net excess exports at the end of the month. You, if you want to maximize your cash flow from your solar investment, you want to consume as much of your uh, solar energy within your household as you can. Now, importantly, that doesn't mean it just has to be you cranking on the dishwasher at certain times or, um, you know, like we've already teased, it, it means you will have significant benefits to a to an energy storage system that can absorb those exports or, or what used to be exports to the grid, or you can do um, strategic electric vehicle charging. We all know the EV revolution is here and that more and more customers are looking into charging options at their house. So if you can strategically charge your electric vehicle at those discount periods or at those periods where you might end up with an excess of energy, you know, this, this will be full retail net metering for you because you will have consumed all of your solar energy. Now, certainly there are a few, a few caveats in here that I, I should acknowledge. You know, there, this minimum bill approach will be new and could result in, in a, a new fee to some customers. But what a minimum bill does, as opposed to a higher fixed charge, it, it is a combination of different charges where if you meet this minimum threshold, then you don't have a minimum bill fee. You, you will have met it. So let me give you the example. So right now in, in, in Duke Energy, our basic facilities charge that every residential customer pays is, is $14. For Duke Energy Carolinas, this monthly minimum bill is going to be set at $22. So that means this includes that basic facilities charge. So you're already 14 bucks there all along the way to 22. A customer just has to have $8 worth of additional you know, through your renewable energy portfolio rider, through your some of your other types of riders like fuel, some of your other customer and distribution charges. You just have to have enough of those to get to that $22 threshold. By my analysis and Duke's analysis and every other person who's looked at this, most every customer will, will do that on, on most every month. There might be, you know, an occasional spring month where, where you don't. And, and if you didn't, say if all of those charges added up to $21, uh, your, your monthly minimum bill fee for the month would just be $1 to get you to 22. Uh, but again, that most customers are not going to be impacted by this. They would have already been paying at least that amount. Uh, and, and this is important again, like I've said, say we have, that we had been imposed a $22 fixed charge. That means you would be starting at $22 regardless of your other riders, your reps fee. That would all be on top of the 22. So you're, you would, 22 would be just the starting point. So it, 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 this was really key to us, a minimum bill approach as opposed to a much higher fixed charge. And, and luckily, we, we, all, we came to an agreement on it. So there, there are a lot of facets to this agreement that, you know, I, I think the NCSEA team, you know, feel really, you know, confident that this can help to continue providing that continuity for the industry and can help customers still realize a lot of the benefits of ins installing solar. Now, granted, like I just mentioned, there are a lot of facets to this agreement. 
And so thinking about just the average, you know, utility customer that maybe is not like you or I, Daniel, that is, you know, really paying attention to time of use pricing and, you know, the certain times of day, the day in which they can use their washer or dryer, right? You know, for, for most folks, electricity is kind of just a, you know, second nature, right? And, and you don't necessarily think about it until you get the bill at the end of the month. For, for those customers, two questions, you know, upfront before they even enroll and decide that they want to install solar, how are they going to know, you know, what sort of savings or rebates they're, they'll be eligible for? And then the other aspect too, are there ways in which the utility will be communicating to customers about these different times of the day in which pricing may be variable depending on the year? Great question. So at a high level, we're working with Duke on developing a calculator. Uh, so it can be a one-stop shop on their website. You know, we can link to it on our website that, sh that will allow customers to say, hey, if I didn't change my energy behavior, if I just used my last year load profile uh, that's, that was you know, tracked by Duke Energy Smart Meter, how would I come out under Solar Choice? Uh, and so even, even that, you know, in my analysis, customers still realize significant savings um, under this program. But to get specific about it, what we will be pointing people to is this calculator or, or something that if, if, if I can figure out how to make my, uh, <laughs> my spreadsheets, my crazy spreadsheets workable for everybody, you know, they can use those too. They're welcome to. So within the time of use rates, there will be up to 20 days a year where Duke can call a critical peak price period. So that would be during those three hour, you know, six to nine windows I mentioned where the price per kilowatt hour really goes up. It, it would go up to, I believe, 35 cents a kilowatt hour. And that would be called at least a day ahead. So a customer would know it's coming. And just for that peak period, you know, those three hours, I believe they have uh, the option to, to make it go an extra hour um, if absolutely necessary. But to your point, they will know that at least a day ahead that it's coming and so that they can prepare and to, uh, to avoid uh, using much energy at that peak. So if you're, you know, 20 times three hours, so you're looking at, uh, you know, at a max 60 hours a year that that would occur. But remember, if you qualify for that rebate program, you will have a smart thermostat. Uh, and even if you don't, you could still do a smart thermostat program. So it's it's uh, almost certain that Duke would be also calling a smart thermostat day during that same roughly that same time, where they could they could help you pre-cool the house ahead of that pre-cool or preheat ahead of that critical peak, um, and, and do some uh, tinkering with the thermostat to to help you know ease the pressure onto that uh, critical peak time. So. Yes. So you would, you would have notice, you would have tools at your disposal that will help you manage it. And so we, we don't think that's going to be too much of a problem for most people, but certainly something to pay attention to. You don't want to, I believe they will have a, a few different ways to notify you, email, et cetera. Uh, you, you don't want to miss it, but you can probably know if you're checking the weather forecast to pay attention to any uh, critical peak alert from Duke. And one additive benefit as well. If there is, you know, significant amount of uptake in this program, it can also help to offset the utilities need for 
peaker plants, you know, during those times of, of high, high load and high demand, um, in which, you know, in, in a lot of cases have been served by, uh, natural gas plants here in the state of North Carolina. So a, a further sort of additive benefit at a, a 40,000 foot perspective on our roadmap to decarbonizing, uh, the energy sector in North Carolina. So just kind of to, to sum up our, our conversation here today, as, as we stated earlier, this agreement has yet to be finalized by the utilities commission. It still has to make its way through that process. And, and so we, we will continue to provide updates to the listeners of the podcast and CSEA's members as that continues to move forward. And if there are other filings made related to uh, the commercial side of things, and also there are other utility territories in North Carolina, like Dominion as well, where things like this might arise. So we'll continue to keep everyone updated as, as that moves forward. But just as one last kind of quick takeaway uh, for, from your perspective, Daniel, you know, how, how are you feeling about this settlement and like, what's NCSEA's overall take on this settlement? You know, I, I feel good. I, I have had over a year to already sit with it because of the South Carolina uh, negotiations that I mentioned and, that, and it already being uh, approved in South Carolina, at least the solar choice. The, um, the rebate is still pending, but we should have an order on that soon. So I, I've already been sitting with it and have already, have, have already liked it <laughs> and have already studied it as, as hopefully you can tell. I, I have thought about it quite a bit. I fully recognize to everybody that this is can be complicated and can be can be a bit scary, especially going from what has been and is a, a successful net metering program right now in North Carolina into into something new. So I, I certainly understand people and when people ha, have con, uh, concerns about this. But I want to be clear to everybody. You know, we at NCSEA and our colleagues that entered into this agreement. Uh, believe it is a fair settlement moving to the next evolution of retail rate net metering in North Carolina. And importantly, it, like I keep saying, it provides regulatory certainty for both solar adopters and installers for the next decade. And that includes people who are already on net metering uh, so that it doesn't throw uh, all their financial calculations and anticipations out of whack, because that would be worst case scenario. And we have avoided that. Um, you know, this importantly provides innovative new incentive approaches to, uh, right now to solar and smart thermostat, solar and demand response, and opens the door to new and innovative approaches to, to other technologies like storage and solar. So we're excited about this. We believe it sets the stage for a lot of good things to come. And if the feedback we've received in South Carolina is in the indication, it seems that, uh, policymakers are also also seem to like it, and I like to contrast the headlines of our settlement in in the press to the to the headlines of the solar wars, and <laughs> these are certainly better headlines than those solar wars. So, no, I, I think this is good. This will be good for customers, good for North Carolina, good for our installers, and we're here to help help with all the complexities and help walk people through it. And as as you've seen, you and I, Matt, have a lot to do with um, educating and and communicating this and walking people through it. So. That's what we're here to do and here to help with. And that's exactly why we had you on today's episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. So, Daniel, I really appreciate you taking some time to to join us here today to talk through this settlement agreement in more detail 
I know there's there's a lot there, and and hopefully we covered most of it, um, and and helped to provide some clarity and some light as to what residential installers and solar customers can expect in North Carolina moving forward. Um, again, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of work, a lot of time spent in putting this together and getting us to a position where we feel really good about, you know, the, the transition that we'll be making to, to ensure that the solar market in North Carolina continues to thrive and grow over the, the coming uh, years and also allow room for additional clean energy technologies as well, like electric vehicles and residential storage. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Thank you, Matt. Good to talk to you. My key takeaway from today's episode is stability and predictability. As Daniel mentioned, North Carolina was required to revisit the topic of net metering as was stated in HB 589 and now HB 951. We've seen NEM battles play out across the country where the rooftop industry has been devastated by a lack of collaboration between the utility, industry, and advocates. We've been lucky to have an open dialogue with many of those stakeholders here in North Carolina to craft an agreement that provides solar customers a clear path forward that includes reasonable compensation for their contributions to the local grid and community. While there are additional facets to this agreement that weren't in place previously, the potential upside is tremendous on our way to decarbonizing the grid in North Carolina, including the ability to integrate more electric vehicles and residential storage units. As a reminder again for our listeners, this settlement has yet to be finalized at the Utilities Commission, so things may change over the coming months, so stay tuned as we provide additional updates on the agreement. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel, M-A-T-T-A-B-E-L-E for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 61 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.